Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. I'm Nick Seipel. Following a round of disappointing earnings reports, it's been a rough week for defense contractor stocks. Today, Lou Whiteman joins the show to update us on the state of the union in the defense industry. Lou, thanks for joining me. Glad to be here, Nick. Great to have you. Uh, as I mentioned off the top, you've got some some big moves this week. Lockheed Martin down over ten percent. Uh, Northrop Grumman uh, reported earnings this morning. They're, they've uh, they've declined quite a bit. What what's going on here in the, in the broad market? Why uh, the turmoil in these defense stocks? So we have a lot of things hitting at once. Uh, for one, some of this is just supply chain issues, COVID, what we're seeing on general industrials. Uh, some of these too, it, uh, the chip shortage, what we've heard about with autos, uh, that hit onto some of these supply chains. Uh, we also have the chaos of the Afghanistan withdrawal. That really didn't affect sales, uh, you know, in terms of uh, we're not going to buy fewer F-35s because we're pulling out of Afghanistan. But there is a lot of transition and a lot of turmoil in the Pentagon, and that is affecting just how business is getting done. Uh, you add into that just kind of a changing shift in priorities at the Pentagon. And um, a lot of these companies, they... Th- the tale they're telling, if there's optimism, it's it's down the road. It's not in the immediate, and um, the markets does does not like to hear that. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned the Afghanistan pullout. Obviously, this was dominating the political headlines a couple months ago with the nature of how financial reporting works. We're a couple months down the line. Now we're getting the earnings reports that swallow up that change, and uh, you know companies are adapting. You know, we were we've been at war for better or worse the better part of twenty years, and now we're not, or we're in a different way, and uh, so the industry is changing. Yeah, arguably for the long term, uh, the Afghanistan, the shift from Afghanistan to what they call great power conflict, which is basically Russia and China, what are they up to? That's bullish for defense contractors simply because Russia and China are building a lot of very sophisticated high tech weaponry and we need to match versus um, the insurgents in the desert where maybe you don't need the best and the brightest, but it is a transition and it will take time to play out. Uh, This shift is both going to drive earnings power in the second half of the decade, but is really hitting hard right now. Yeah, so you mentioned these kind of hypersonic weapons, the next generation of uh, war fighting. Folks probably saw lots of headlines about China testing a, a, a hypersonic weapon that, it, that has raised uh, some potential concerns. Well, the folks helping develop those weapons for at least the U.S. Uh, military is Lockheed Martin, which reported earnings earlier this week. What did we see from Lockheed's earnings report? Right. So uh, Lockheed actually beat on earnings and they beat pretty healthily, 221 per share versus a 197 estimate. But uh, that was down 65% year over year due to a pension charge. Uh, We kind of knew that was coming. The real focus and the real reason for the drop was revenue. They missed by more than a billion dollars. It was down year over year. And yeah, that caused the stock to really trade off. Uh, They listed a lot of reasons. We kind of went through the laundry list a second ago. Supply chain issues. Uh, In Lockheed's case, the F-35, there trillion dollar program, uh, we're seeing production cuts and we may never see the full production. Uh, the United Kingdom nationalized a, uh, a, a 
weapons uh, contract that uh, had been with Lockheed for a while. So again, we knew that was coming, but all of these things hit at once. And then you also have a new CEO there. You have an interim uh, chief financial officer. I think that some of this was a house keeping house cleaning quarter where they're just going to get everything out now and then uh, resetting expectations. But uh, all in, there wasn't a lot to be excited about. You add to it that they cut their full year revenue guidance and warned that growth would be anemic in 2022. Their pending acquisition of Aerojet Rocketdyne, which is going to build their space business, that was supposed to close this year, but uh, the Biden administration isn't sure what they think about that. So that's falling into 2022. It was just sort of a cascade of a million cuts where they really didn't have a lot positive to say about the rest of the year and heading into 2022. Yeah. So as you look at that, that 2022 revenue guide, I think there were you know, a slight decline uh, uh, projecting. But as you look out further, you know, the, the management says, as you look out further throughout the decade up through 2026, we should start resuming some growth in 2023 and going forward. What's really going to be driving that for the business? Is that closing this space acquisition and, and some of these other projects? What should we be paying attention to going forward? Sure. So a couple things to think of. For one, this is the largest pure play defense contractor in the world, and they do have a very diverse set of assets that will do them well in time. For the next few years, this is mostly going to be an income generating story. The good news is they are going to pay shareholders well for their patience. Uh, $15 billion in free cash flow coming off the next couple of years. They have a 3% plus dividend yield, which should be, I'm not worried about at all. They say that they will probably buy back $6 billion in shares in the next year plus. Uh, that's 7% of the float at today's prices. So they are aggressively going to try to be an income play in the next few years. As you said, looking to the second half of this decade, they have three classified programs they expect to move into production between now and 2026. One of them, I think, is a new Air Force fighter. It's not going to be as big of a program as the F-35, but that is a massive program. Uh, at least three hypersonic production contracts are supposed to uh, sh- should happen by then. Again, these are the missiles five times the speed of sound. This is an area where the Pentagon is convinced they trail China, and which is going to get a lot of attention. A couple of years ago, the Pentagon justified the money that was heading to Lockheed, basically saying nobody has this area of expertise. They are at the forefront there. Raytheon's caught up some, but this is this is a sweet spot that they have in an area that's a Pentagon priority. Uh, you add to it, they have two multi-billion dollar helicopter bake-offs right now for the Army. They're going up against Textron in both. I think Textron wins at least one of them, to be honest, but I think Lockheed, with a very weird experimental design, if it proves out, they will win the other. There's missile defense. There's an Air Force con- tanker competition. Even without these pendings, they have a lot that is kind of baked in that will hit production in the second half of this decade that will do them very well. If they get any of these other rewards where they're um, they're competitive right now, there's a lot of growth there. But it's just, again, for the next couple of years, this is an income play. And they basically just came clean with new management saying, look, we're not doing a lot of growing this year next. And um, we'll try and keep you at bay with uh with cash return, but you're just going to have to wait for us. Yeah. So, so when you look at, you know, obviously very aggressive uh, with the, those buyback plans, you know, over 5% of the float potentially getting taken out. What do you make of that capital allocation decision, given the valuation of the company today and what we just laid out as, as far as potential opportunities going forward? Are they just constrained on how they can deploy that capital because of the nature of their business? 
Well, you know, I mean, in a way, it's the opposite, where a, lo- a lot of their R&D is paid for by the customer. You know, I mean, it, and that's partially what we're seeing now. A lot of the revenue they're getting right now are these contracts that we hope will be in production later. Uh, you know, so I, I don't mind it. I mean, this is a very well-capitalized company. Part of what happened in this quarter is, is that they are adjusting the way they do pensions, kind of taking some of the pension off of the books. Uh, I, You know, d- defense isn't supposed to be a tech-like growth story. A lot of it is reoccurring revenue income. I mean, yes, they are putting the foot to the gas pedal right now because they need to appease shareholders. But let's be honest, they're having enough trouble with this Aerojet deal. They can't really realistically say we're going to deploy six, seven billion dollars for acquisitions right now, even if they have to. It seems like a sensible move. And as a current shareholder, I'm not going to complain about that given they don't see a lot of growth on the horizon. Yeah, so you mentioned that Aerojet Rocket Dyne deal, Lock- Lockheed Martin getting involved more more fully in the space industry, another defense company involved in space, Northrop Grumman reported earnings this morning. Down some, but not quite as as negative a reaction from the market as we saw uh, to Lockheed. Right, right. Very similar tone, very similar results, but a much less pessimistic tone, shall we say. And so, yeah, the stock is down some, but not as much. They also beat 663 compared to 599 was the estimate, I think. But they, again, missed on revenue, not by as much, only by a couple hundred million dollars. They did slightly raise full-year earnings estimate and kept revenue steady. And they say they they believe they will see, uh, quote, continued organic sales growth into 2022, which is much different than what uh, Lockheed said. And as you said, a lot of that is fueled by space. Uh, Northrop has four segments, they report. Three of them saw revenue fall. Space was the exception. Uh, Northrop, in a way, in space is a couple years ahead of Lockheed Martin. They bought a company called Orbital ATK a few years ago. Uh, Aerojet is basically Orbital's biggest competition. So both companies today have a space offering. Northrop's is much better rounded out. And it appears for now, space is sort of the growth area for defense hardware. And um, Northrop, with the better exposure there, um, they're going to do at least less bad, if not better than Lockheed. Uh, The other interesting thing I think for Norfolk this uh, Northrop this morning, and again, they just did release this morning, so we haven't really dug into it. But on the call, CEO Kathy Warden said they are hiring in anticipation of workers quitting over the vaccine mandate. As a government contractor, they have to have their employees mandate vaccine. I believe it's by December 8th. Uh, She didn't have clear numbers on percentage of vaccinated. But again, if you talk about the uncertainty and what's kind of driving some of these tepid guidances, that's just another thing hanging out there that they are trying to plan for, but really they can't. So it's just a weird moment, I think, for the sector. Yeah, I think and that's that's testament as a government contractor, maybe subject to a little bit more restrictions and regulation than you'd see from typical companies. This is this is just uh, a one example. Hey, is this so you talk about the, the optimism around space? I mean, is this just the space force coming into its own? Is this the the, the big deal of where we're seeing for future investment in, in the military? Well, yeah. I mean, to some extent, I mean, we know some of what's going on here with Northrop. They won a huge contract. It could be up upwards of a hundred billion dollars by all is said is done to replace the 1960s era's Minuteman rockets, our ICBMs. That's a lot of this is the initial funding into that. They also said classified space. So that is what is actually being put up there. A lot of that is probably clandestine spy versus spy communication stuff, things like that, but who knows? But yeah, no, I mean, space is definitely, again, if you think of great power con 
conflict, there's probably a lot more concern right now from the Pentagon that we need to win space than there is we need a new generation of, say, a tank. Uh, so yeah, I think I think it's a natural logical thing to see the emphasis on the domains where we're most worried and definitely space, rocket, missile defense, that's where it is much more so than some of the, I guess, World War II vintage, what you think of with, um, with defense. Yes. So maybe moving on to the, the third company here, Boeing. Boeing also involved in space, like its commercial business, plagued by uh, some issues. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, Boeing is both a massive defense contractor and defense sometimes can be an afterthought with them, especially in the last few years with the drama they've had. And that sort of continued. We mentioned, I think maybe Lockheed Martin was doing some house cleaning. Certainly, Boeing is still in the process of getting out from under the 737 MAX issues that was grounded for, what, 18 months while they worked through issues there. They had the COVID issue, which hit on demand. And now the 787 Dreamliner is kind of in a state of perpetual fix right now. Uh, so we knew it was going to be ugly. And sure enough, they lost 60 cents. That's much worse than the 20 cent consensus. I mean, some of that was just new charges that analysts didn't know what to do. So I don't think that the, the, the number was nearly as bad as the headline. They also, again, a slight miss on revenue. And again, keeping with that theme, there's just it's a complicated supply chain right now. Uh, I mentioned the, the bigger than expected loss. That's part of that is another $1 billion charges related to the Dreamliner. This is their composite plastic plane where they are still trying to figure out some of the joints and fatigue. It's not fatal to the program, but it is taking stubbornly long. And let's face it, after the 737 MAX, Boeing right now isn't getting the benefit of the doubt with safety regulators, so they are going slow as they should. Um, there were some really good news, or at least green shoots in there. Free cash flow, which was a real albatross on this company the last couple of years, it beat expectations. They are still, it's still an outlay. They're not bringing money in, but they um, they used about five hundred million versus eight hundred million expected. Uh, net debt is stable, um, mind you. It's forty two billion. It was less than ten billion just a few years ago. So again, we are. The emphasis here is is that they are. They're beginning to get there, but they're still a long ways off. This is a company that has $367 billion of orders on the backlog. Uh, it's still got great potential, but we are just seeing it's going to take a long time to get there. And this quarter was kind of another reminder of, yes, it is still very much the patient is on the operating table. We're not, we're not in the post-op yet. Yeah, it seems like every quarter we, we pull another, you know, a couple hundred million dollars of charges out of, out of the mattress. And, you know, we've, you know, have had you on the podcast quarter after quarter talking about what's going on here. And the question has always been, when do they turn the corner? Still waiting. Yeah, yeah. So if you look at on kind of some of the individual programs, because there's a lot to this company. As I mentioned, the 787 is the, right now the problem child. It's running at two frames per month, and that's well under. I mean, even even with COVID, they've been hoping to have five frames coming out a month. They hope to get back there as soon as possible, but it's not going to be immediately. The 737, which is 19 per month, they are very ambitious here. They are raising that to 31 frames a month in 2022. Uh, that really, and we'll speak to what they kind of see as demand in a second. But uh, it is worth noting that, you know, pre-COVID, pre the 737 MAX issue, this was going to be the greatest plane in their history because they were going to be at 50 or 60 frames a month. So even if they get to this ambitious 31 in 2022, we're still not anywhere near where we were. Uh, they also, they kept producing 737 MAXs when it was grounded. They have an inventory of maybe 370 planes sitting on their lots that they have not 
delivered yet. Uh, they they believe they can reduce that by 50% by the end of 2022, which would be a great feat. If you look at that, plus the production plans that they have, they're saying they're going to deliver 400, 450 plus of these planes in 2022, uh, compared to less than, well, less than 300 this year. So definitely, again, they are, we have to look out into the future, but they are making progress. Over on defense, it is a big defense business. Again, space sort of was the headliner for all the wrong reasons in this. Uh, their Starliner capsule, which is competing with Elon Musk's SpaceX Dragon to shuttle astronauts between Earth and the space station. Uh, the Dragon has done very well for SpaceX. Starliner still hasn't been able to do a test launch. They did a lot of charges over there. Um that's really holding defense and defense margins back. But uh, overall, defense is a lot more steady than it was. But we've learned over the years that right now, Boeing's commercial is what moves the needle. It's off of its lows, but we are, we're on a path to recovery. It's a slow path, and investors shouldn't underestimate just how long that'll take. What would management or kind of Boeing have to do to get your trust back at this point? I think it's a show me story. I mean, they have a lot of ambitious plans for how things will get back. But first of all, they need to get these planes in the air, whether it's the 787, whether it's we didn't even talk about the uh, new 777X, the new version of their largest plane, which is going to be now almost three years behind schedule. Um, again, the, the good news is the FAA which took some justified criticism during the 737 MAX issue, they're a lot harder on Boeing now today than they are, and that's for everyone's good. But they are still, I, I think they deserve to be in the penalty box right now. And really, we know the potential's there. They have duopoly with Airbus. There's great long-term demand for airplanes. If you look at the emerging, emerging markets around the world, travel is only going to increase over the next 20 to 30 years. It should be a good, stable stock. But first, we have to figure out for sure that they can reliably deliver on their promises. They've set some really ambitious goals. Let's talk again in a year and see how those are going. If it's smooth flying from there, then maybe this becomes interesting again. Yeah, we'll see what happens with Boeing. It's kind of a waiting for Godot story. We'll see uh, if he if he ever shows up. Uh, so you, you mentioned uh, you know, Boeing has had some of these issues uh, with their commercial airplanes, hoping to reaccelerate deliveries next year in, in 2022. One of the trends we've talked about or heard about somewhat in the market is that uh, with, with uh, issues in 2020, you've seen a, a spike up in demand for private airplanes, which ties in uh, to the company we're going to talk about last year, which is General Dynamics. They own Gulfstream, uh, which is private jet producer, and they're seeing their largest backlog, uh, and they've seen it in a number of years. Yeah, yeah. And let's give a little context here. The private jet, the business jet business, really never recovered from the 2008-2009 recession uh, for a lot of reasons. For one, if you remember at the time, uh, then consumer advocate Elizabeth Warren was really hitting on companies for their jet fleets. And so it was, we saw a delay there and then simply just a rearrange, kind of a rearranging of um, priorities on for corporations. But uh, the business jet market has really been hit hard. We've been saying for a while, we think that should trend back as the fleet ages, as post-COVID, people maybe don't want to go through the airport experience as much, uh, as companies like wheels up and some of these that, that begin to sort of bring small jets to the masses. Uh, but General Dynamics has been an underperformer for most of the last decade compared to Lockheed and Northrop because of Gulfstream. 
it's finally beginning to pay off. Uh, they also beat on earnings, 307 versus 298 uh, expected. Again, another slight miss on revenue, which if, uh, if we get the theme there. Uh, the revenue weakness, though, was mostly defense. Uh, they said supply chain. They called out chips specifically. Um, the good news is defense margins, and this is mostly shipbuilding, although they do have land systems and some other things, and uh, defense IT, which we'll get to in a second. Defense margins came in higher than expected and a relatively robust 8.7%, which for a government contractor looks pretty good. But uh, the story was all about Gulfstream. Sales were up 5%. Our operating margins were up. Uh, we just went through a big product renewal with the uh, G800 and a few of these planes that finally the R&D is moving off and we're going to get to the profitable, strong margin side of the business. Their book to bill was 1.7 times. That means they booked 1.7 Buck seventy for every dollar they build out. That's a great sign of the future. Uh, Textron, who's Cessna business, they were at one point six. So this is the industry's coming back. Uh, you know, like over the last ten years, third quarter their book to bill has been under one. So that's just an idea of where we are right here. Uh, free cash flow was stronger than expected. Just across the board, we are now looking to a period where. If nothing goes wrong, Gulfstream should drive earnings for the rest of this year, even as far out as 2023. And this should give them a real leg off to at least close that long-term valuation gap against uh, their peers. If not, I, I'd say maybe exceed them if, if Gulfstream really gets up and running. Yeah. So when you look at the at general dynamics, it's, it's fair to say you've got some growth potential in Gulfstream, this business jet business laying on top of really stable you know, uh, naval uh, uh, submarine, that that sort of business that just isn't going to go away. I think they're they're one of the only only companies that that makes the submarines that they produce. Yeah, they they and Huntington Ingalls are the, are are the two big shipbuilding contractors. Uh, and yeah, they they split a lot of the submarines. They have the Virginia class, the um, nuclear submarines. The other thing that really makes General Dynamics stand apart too, because they they don't have this huge airplane business or some of these businesses that um, have gotten Lockheed Northrop done well. But General Dynamics went against the industry a few years ago when most of the industry sold their IT assets. General Dynamics doubled down. They did a big deal. They are the second largest government IT provider out there. Uh, this is a part of the sector, the industry that I think is going to hold up a lot better. Sure enough, their book to bill on defense side, uh, uh, IT was the standout at a, uh, a buck ten per dollar build. Uh, you know, that's where you want to be right now, not these platforms in the next year or so. Uh, you couple Gulfstream with their IT business. I think clearly this is the top big defense, uh, defense prime stock to look at. I, I think as far as the next 18, 24 months. Yeah. So, so among this group of Boeing, Northrop, Lockheed, Martin, uh, you'd put uh, General Dynamics top of that list because of these, these other growth opportunities they have. Right, right. Definitely for the last next few years. I mean, I think I think IT is very much an underappreciated story. I mean, just this week, we saw a small government services company taken out at a 70% premium by a private equity. Uh, you know, that's just, I mean, that's just one little company and it's much smaller than these guys. But I think that's an idea of kind of, there's a real disconnect between public market perception right now and kind of what the quote unquote smart money thinks of the sector right now. And I, I don't think private equity is wrong. I think, I think, for at least the next few years, General Dynamics will be very glad that they zigged when everyone else zagged and they have that plus Gulfstream. It finally looks like their moment to shine. 
Yeah, Lou. Uh, so yeah, to, to close out, I wanted to ask you about maybe a, a big trend folks should be paying attention to. Obviously, we opened up talking about things that had happened in Afghanistan, this push towards great power conflict. As you look out forward, uh, is this, this IT business really the, the, the place you have your, your sights set on? Yeah, I'd say don't sleep on that. I mean, if you look at it without, you know, without getting too far into the weeds, but the White House is requesting over $100 billion in uh, fiscal 22 for defense IT or, or government services, all, all government-wide. Uh, that's a 7.5% jump over actual spending in 2021. So that is growth. That includes civil agencies. That includes the Pentagon. That includes top secret. But the other big part of this that I don't think is fully appreciated is 83% of that government IT spending is goes to the contractors. And that is much different. When people hear that 700 billion number for the Pentagon, remember, a lot of that is payroll. A lot of that is buildings. A lot, you know, I mean, there's a, that's not 700 billion for the contractors. But in a tight budget environment, the Pentagon quite obviously is not going to outsource fighter pilots. You know, they what they're, they, there's only so many areas they can cut costs. One area where the government can cut costs is to outsource IT, everything from the top secret stuff to just the Commerce Department's email. You know, I mean, and you are going to see that in a tight budget environment. This is where the government looks. That's very strong for defense IT. You couple into the fact that last time they kind of ignored this area and they ran into all sorts of problems with the Edmund Snowdens of the world. I'm just, I, I'm very confident that defense IT is going to hold up a lot better in the markets. Thanks. That's good for general dynamics. And I think, Nick, we've talked about some of these companies before, whether it's uh, Lidos Holdings, uh, Booz Allen Hamilton, uh, Mantech. I, I just think these companies are much better set up to perform for investors in the next 18 months to two years than these defense primes that are making hardware. Great stuff, Lou. Yeah, and I would say for folks, if you're interested in hearing more about this space, definitely look uh, look back into some of our previous podcasts we've done over the years and over the, the past few months uh, to get some more detail on this defense IT sector. Lou, until next time, thank you for joining me. Always love talking to you. Great to be here, Nick. Thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Rick Ingdahl for mixing the show. For Lou Whiteman, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening, and Fool on. Awesome.